Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. Ladies and gentlemen, there have been some unbelievable developments in the news over the past uh, few days, this past week, that I just want to mention before we get into the bulk of the program. Uh, we're going to have Dr. Jeff Myers on after the first break. He wrote the new book, The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, and we'll, he's the president of Summit, for those of you that don't know. Fabulous Christian ministry. I'll tell you about it after the break. But I want to comment on three things. Uh, before we get into that. And the first is, is that in California, Governor Jerry Brown just signed a bill that made California a sanctuary state. Uh, the bill approved by the state's legislature last month bars police from asking people about their immigration status or participating in federal immigration enforcement activities. And that's the case in most cases. And it all starts January 1st. And there's about apparently... The estimated uh, number is 2.3 million illegal immigrants in California. Now, uh, the acting director of ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement Organization, says by passing this bill, California politicians have chosen to prioritize politics over public safety, said Thomas Holman. He's the acting director of ICE. He said, disturbingly, the legislation serves to codify a dangerous policy that deliberately obstructs our country's immigration laws and shelters serious criminal alien offenders, unquote. Now, regardless of what you think about immigration, you know, for or against or wall or no wall or any of that, that's not what I'm talking about now. But here's my point. If you choose to ignore laws like California's doing now by passing their own, and we can argue states' rights and all that. That's not my point either. But if you choose to ignore federal laws that are designed to protect people, then you are choosing to put at risk the very laws that got you elected. I mean, why should people respect election law if you're not going to respect immigration law? Why do... Why, why should people even respect the fact that their legislature was elected and Governor Jerry Brown in California was elected? Those laws that they put in place for elections put Governor Brown and the legislature in place. But if they're going to then snub their nose at laws that are already on the books, then why should we even look at Governor Brown as our legitimate governor if you live in California or our legislature is a legitimate legislature. In other words, it seems to me it's, it's self-defeating to do this, but of course that doesn't stop California. In fact, I think it was this same law which has also made the fact that if you use the wrong pronoun with a transgender person, you can go to jail for up to a year in California. Now, this is madness, ladies and gentlemen. This is totalitarianism. Do we live in the Soviet Union? This is Orwellian. Let's control the speech now. Have you ever heard of the First Amendment? That Congress shall make the law respecting establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the rights to free speech, assembly, petition, redress of grievances. Free speech? The government's taking it away in California. 
by this law. Why? Because there's a new religion in California, new religion across the country. It's called the religion of sex. I've talked about that at length. That's the new religion in America. And apparently, that religion now super, it supervenes free speech. Now, now it's a higher, higher value than free speech. So somebody ought to sue and take that to federal court because that's just madness. Let me comment also on the NFL. I, I commented on it uh, a week or two ago, and I mentioned that the NFL is a nonprofit organization. I was correct until about 2015. It got rid of its nonprofit status somehow, but it still gets tax breaks, believe it or not. And in fact, President Trump was talking about that recently in a tweet. Uh, and some of his tweets, by the way, are completely insulting to me. <laughs> it's like he's in third grade. I mean, come on. You can make a point without insulting people. In any event, let me mention one other thing, because this is often misunderstood. Uh, the First Amendment prevents the government from taking your, your, your rights away, free speech, religion, like California's doing. It does not protect your employer from taking away your right to free speech. You don't have a right to free speech in your workplace, your employer can tell you to shut up anytime he or she wants, especially if it's going to interfere with business. It, 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 I was mentioning this to a, at a, a church I just spoke at in Arkansas, a great church, uh, First Baptist uh, Rogers. And uh, the, the pastor there, we were talking about this, and I said, look, if a congregant wants to get up on stage or even someone on your staff wants to get up on stage while you're giving your sermon and he wants to say something, he doesn't have a right to do that. Your, your pastor can tell you to sh- sit down and shut up if you're an employee of the church and you want to interrupt his sermon with some sort of protest. You don't have a right to do that. Congress can't stop you from doing that. The government can't stop you from doing that. But your employer can. Now, Jerry Jones was right earlier this week. He can tell his players you need to stand for the national anthem. If you don't want to stand for the national anthem, then you're not going to play. He can do that. In fact, the NFL tells its players what it can and can't do all the time. It told the New York Giants and New York Jets you can't uh, commemorate 9-11 after it happened. It told the Dallas Cowboys you can't put a decal on your helmet to honor the five cops that were killed last year. Oh, but it's not going to be able to tell its players it needs to stand for the national anthem? Fine, you don't want to stand, you don't play. I think Jerry Jones is right about that. Now, too bad he didn't get on board earlier with that. The week prior to that, he's kneeling with everybody. Maybe he's starting to get the message. In fact, these NFL protests are counterproductive. I can agree that there are areas in our country where there is racial profiling and there is uh, injustice put forth by cops in some instances. Look, you're going to have bad people in every profession. But you don't protest that by kneeling at the national anthem. I mean, you're, you might have a good cause, but it's counterproductive. It's like trying to call attention to the mistreatment of women in Islam by burning the Quran. I mean, you have a point, but you're hurting your case by defacing something that people find sacred. You're not going to get anywhere with Muslims if you burn the Quran. You may be right that, yeah, the, the, the Quran teaches that uh, women are inferior to men and that in many Islamic countries... Women don't have the same rights. In fact, in Saudi Arabia, women don't even have the right to drive until this month. It's about the time they're about to give people the right to drive, women the right to drive for the first time ever. Can you believe that? But you're not going to get anywhere with Muslims.
if you if you burn the Quran to try and call to attention a problem in Islam, and you're not going to get anywhere with Americans if you're going to if you're going to disrespect the military and the national anthem. Oh, we're not disrespecting the military. I don't. You may not think you are, but that's the perception, and that's what comes across. You might not say you're you're disrespecting the Quran by burning it, but you are. And you're disrespecting the nation by not standing for the national anthem. One last thing I want to point out. This whole thing with Harvey Weinstein, the Miramax uh, Hollywood producer. People are judging him for, obviously, his immoral sexual behavior. But let me ask you guys a question. By what standard is the culture judging him? I mean, liberals have created a culture of sexual license where anything goes. And now they're shocked when somebody actually lives it out. C.S. Lewis famously said, in a sort of ghastly simplicity, simplicity, we remove the organ and demand function. We make men without chess and expect of them virtue and enterprise. We laugh at honor and are shocked to find traitors in our midst. We castrate and bid the geldings be fruitful. Yeah, we do all that. By what standard are you judging this guy? Oh, now you have a standard suddenly? Before you had no standards, now you have a standard. Well, where does this standard come from? If there is no God, there's no, there's nothing ultimately right or wrong about anything, including sexual harassment or any of the things Harvey Weinstein is doing. Now, don't get me wrong. Those things are wrong. But Christians have a standard by which we judge those things wrong. Where are liberals getting their standard from? Where are atheists getting their standard from? They're making it up as they go. It's just their opinion. All right, I'm Frank Turk, back with the great Jeff Myers, president of Summit. In just a couple of minutes, our website, crossexamined.org. Crossexamined with a D on the end of it.org. Don't go away. We're back in two. If you're low on the FM dial, looking for NPR, go no further. We're actually going to tell you the truth here. That's our intent anyway. You're listening to Cross Examined with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. My guest today is the great Dr. Jeff Myers, the president of Summit, summit summit.org. I've told you guys about Summit several times before. Fabulous worldview uh, camp out in Manitou Springs. They also have campuses in Tennessee and California. And these are summer camps that uh, really in two weeks can ground young people in Christian worldview and apologetics. So it's uh, a place that you definitely want to send your young person and uh, Jeff has written a number of books. He's got a new book out called The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, Overcoming the Outbreak of Five Fatal Worldviews. I've just been through this book myself. And let me tell you, this book is not written from theory alone. It's written from experience. And so let me bring Jeff in. Jeff, great, great having you on the show. Hey, Frank. Yeah, great to be with you. Now, Jeff... In reading this book, and I've known you for many years, I, I I knew you were going through some difficulty a few years back, and this book emerged from that difficulty, and it's very personal, and it's very realistic, and it has some very practical advice in it. Tell us how this book emerged to actually come to fruition. Well, Frank, you know, because you've been, you've been one of our outstanding instructors here at the Summit Ministries program in Colorado and Tennessee, California, for many years— uh, you know that my big project in the last few years has been doing the Understanding the Times curriculum, or Understanding the Times Worldview Library. Right. So it's a big Understanding the Times book, you know, 500 pages, 1,500 footnotes. 
They understand the faith, understand the culture. Altogether, about 1,800 pages, 5,000 footnotes, 50 different subject matter experts. And I, I, I felt like I really had biblical worldview locked down. I know what, what, what is true. I know how to answer the big questions in life. I know the Christian worldview is better. But in, in, in a lot of those, and I tell the story in The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, uh, just was struck by a series of very difficult situations, um, and, and the last of which is through a variety of horrible uh, circumstances that I could not stop. I, I lost my marriage. And I, I, st- I had, so I have got my kids now, and I'm trying to figure out how am I going to be a dad? How, you know, how do, how do I fix something besides pancakes for them? Uh, you know, and the daytimes were were easier than the nighttimes because I had at least had something to do. But over the course of a year, I just began sinking into a depression. And I went on a hunting trip with a buddy, and he was trying to really help me come out of it. And uh, I, and we we had finished our hunting in the morning time, and I went for a long run and just broke down. And I, I just began, you know, God, what is going on here? Why are you doing this to me? What is, you know, I loved you. I served you. You know, why are you kicking me when I'm down? And I, I came back from that run and wrote down five questions that I wanted answers to. I did not doubt, Frank, that God existed, mm-hmm. but I was starting to wonder, is he really as good as he says he is? Right. And I, I so I wrote down questions. Am I loved? Is there anybody who loves me for who I am and not just for what I can do for them? Why do I hurt? There's pain in my life. There's pain in the world. Everywhere I look, I see pain. Why? Uh, I wrote down the question, what is my purpose? If I were to disappear, would anybody even really care? Uh, what it, why can't we get along? The whole history of the world is a history of conflict. It seems like there's so much conflict in everyday life. Why is that? And then the final question I wrote down is, is there any hope? Is there any hope for me personally, and is there any hope for the world? And I realized, Frank, if I'm struggling with this as this worldview and apologetics author, how many people might be struggling with these very same questions who are trying to find answers on television or on Facebook or whatever else? And what they're getting instead, Frank, is just idea viruses, bad ideas that come into their hearts and minds and mislead them and confuse them in finding answers to those five huge questions so that they end up at the end with a sicker soul and a more miserable life. And I I just felt like I needed to do two things. I wanted to show people that these other worldviews, that Richard Dawkins and all these people, they laugh and they celebrate, they talk about all this stuff on on the television as if it's just self-evidently true and people who disagree are stupid. Do they have any answers? And then second, I wanted to know, does Jesus have any answers to these Mm. questions? So that's the story behind the book. And I'd say anybody who's wondered, is a biblical worldview true? Is Jesus really for real? Do these other worldviews out there have anything to say? And do they have anything to say to people who are in tough circumstances in life? Then this is something you might want to dig into. We're talking to Jeff Myers. Jeff Myers, the president of Summit, the new book, Secret Battle of Ideas About God, and those five questions that he answers in the book, among others, are, am I loved? Why do I hurt? Does my life have any meaning or purpose? Why can't we all just get along? And is there any hope for the world? Now, Jeff, you just hinted at the fact that those are five questions, but you also have in here five worldviews other than Christianity that you examine to see if they can answer those five questions. And what are those five worldviews, briefly? 
Yeah, well, the, I think there are five idea strains. Kind of imagine, in the, if it's and I, the, one of the breakthroughs I hope for this book is is casting ideas as viruses. The bad ideas mm-hmm. are like viruses. Right. So imagine that there are five deadly viruses, like Ebola and Spanish flu, and you know, just imagine there are five deadly viruses that are trying to penetrate into your heart and mind. What are they? And we can identify what they are, and that's one of the key things we have to do, is identify the, the ideas that are coming at us. But the first one is secularism. Secularism says, God belief is irrelevant. That only the material world exists. No God exists. There's no Jesus. There's no Holy Spirit. There's no heaven, no hell no angels, no demons, nothing except the physical world. And that's the, that's the first major worldview. And so if you think about, you know, is God relevant? Well, God's no more relevant than Santa Claus. You love Santa Claus? Sure. You can love Jesus? Sure. No problem. You love the tooth fairy? I don't care. It doesn't matter. It's a free country, but none of it's true, secularism says. Mm. And the, the second worldview that's dominated, believe it or not, is Marxism. It's dominant in our country. Uh, we had a, a socialist run for president, and 75% of those in the millennial generation said they would be willing to vote for a socialist for president. But even beyond that, in the world today, if you take the Marxist countries, you've got 20% of the people, one out of every five people in the world, lives in a Marxist country. Marxism like secularism. Only the material world exists. There's only so much to go around. If one person has more than somebody else, it's because they've taken more than their fair share, and we need to have revolution to take it back. So those are the first two. The third one is postmodernism, which says there is no truth that you could really know. Okay, postmodernism looks back at the 20th century and says, look, more people died at the hands of their own governments in the 20th century than all previous human centuries combined. And all they, all they were doing is believing that they believed what that they knew what was true, and then killing people who didn't agree with them. So if we all just stop believing that there is such a thing as truth, then all of the pain will cease and the world will be fine. That's postmodernism. Is that true? Fourth one is Islam, and then the fifth one is new spirituality, and I know we're going to take a break here at some point, but we could talk about all those as well. Yeah, no, no, no. we got it. We got a couple more minutes. I was just okay. – I, I just couldn't resist the postmodernist claim there's no truth. Is that true? But anyway. Yeah, it, it is <laughs> It, 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 it's one of those, it's so baffling and self-contradictory, uh-huh. and yet people will look you in the eye and say, yes, I firmly believe this, and if you disagree, then you are a bigot. <laughs> I know, it's crazy. <laughs> All right, so you got postmodernism, and then you just hinted at, you said you had Islam and the New Age. or Yeah, or... Islam and then uh, the New Age, or what yeah. I call new spirituality, but right. Islam teaches that uh, everybody who has ever been born was born a Muslim. A lot of people don't know this. Mm. So if you're not a Muslim now, it's because you are in a rebellion against Allah, and you must cease your rebellion. The process of ceasing your rebellion against Allah in the Quran is called jihad. And I don't think people uh, understand or grasp the significance of what this worldview says. We have Muslim friends and neighbors, and we want to love them, but we also need to understand what that worldview says. And then the fifth one is a new spirituality or new age, which is exactly the opposite of secularism and Marxism. Whereas they say only the material world exists, this worldview, new spirituality, says only the spiritual world exists, the material world is an illusion. And so the whole goal of life is to just be united with the oneness that is all things. They don't think so, though, when you steal their iPhone. They want they, that uh, iPhone back. Yeah, they, you know? yeah. <laughs> they think that's real stuff, man. <laughs> that's not real. Yeah, you're not, you're not doing very well at your oneness. 
All right, so so you said ideas are like viruses, and on page 40, you talk about how bad ideas must contain some truth in order to be attractive to us, and it reminded me of the famous verse that says Satan comes as an angel of light, you know, I mean, if there was no truth in anything Satan said, you wouldn't be attracted to it at all. Can you give us some examples? You have some on page 40 about some ideas that are viruses, they contain some truth, but they're false. Well, uh, take secularism, for example. Mm-hmm. Secularism says only the material world exists. Well, mm-hmm. does the material world exist? Yes. The answer is yes, the physical mm-hmm. world exists. So the secularist takes that idea, which would be, which is true, that the physical world exists, and then they make a claim on top of it that they don't prove. So they would say, the physical world is all we can see, therefore anything spiritual is merely a creation of the human imagination. Uh, the Marxist would say, some rich people are greedy. Is that true? Yes, some rich people are greedy. But then the Marxist makes a claim that they don't prove on top of that. They say, therefore, we are justified in confiscating their wealth. Um, you know, with each one of these, it, it, Islam says, for example, people rebel against God. Do people rebel against God? Yes, they do. But the Muslim goes on and says, therefore, they should be forced to submit to Allah in the way we say. Right? So that's where these worldviews, they, they point out a little bit of truth, but then they use that truth to bury something that's dangerous. And, and Frank, that's exactly what viruses do in the physical world, if you think about it. A virus isn't alive. It's just a bit of genetic code coated with a protein. It goes into the body, sometimes through cuts so small in our skin we don't even know we have them. It introduces itself to the cells, and the cells say, wow, this is great, another protein. You know, we need this. So they take it in. And it's that protein that they look at, but then what they don't with the cells, uh, catches the cells of guard is that there's inside, there's a little bit of genetic code that when it weaves itself into your body is really harmful. And viruses are harmful, obviously, to the body. And they're also, idea viruses are harmful to the mind and therefore harmful to behavior, which can be harmful to eternity. Uh, and not just eternity, but consequences here on Earth. We're talking to Jeff Myers. His new book is called The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, Overcoming the Outbreak of Five Fatal Worldviews. And as we mentioned earlier, this book is not just theoretical. This book is built out of experience or comes out of experience. And uh, Jeff will take you on a journey through some very bad ideas and the antidote to those ideas, uh, good ideas. And uh, it's well worth reading, The Secret Battle of Ideas About God. And uh, when we come back from the break, uh, one of the biggest insights I got from this book, I want to reveal to Jeff, just an amazing insight, and we'll talk more. I also want to mention that uh, next week, uh, Jay Warner Wallace and I and Mike Adams will be doing our Fearless Faith event down in Florida. That is October 20th and 21st at St. John, St. John's, Florida. It's uh, Creekside Christian Church. Not far from Jacksonville. Check out our website, crossexamine.org, for more. Hope to see you there. We're back in two. How many idea viruses do you have in your mind right now? How do you eradicate them before they damage you and other people and maybe even eternity? Jeff Myers' his new book, The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, Overcoming the Outbreak of Five Fatal Worldviews. Excellent work. You ought to get it. Not a difficult read, not very long, but a lot of great insights in it. And, Jeff, you actually have a website that where people can actually take a worldview kind of quiz, and it'll tell them what their worldview is. What, what is that website? Well, it's called secretbattlebook.com, Frank. Secretbattlebook.com is 
And, and the worldview quiz there is for free. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of people ask us, hey, do these worldviews influence me? And it was a stunning thing. We did a big study with the Barner Research Group and found that, for example, 61% of Christians strongly agreed with ideas that are rooted in the new spiritualist worldview. 54% strongly agreed with ideas that are rooted in the postmodern worldview. 39% Marxism, 38% uh, Islam, and and 29% secularism. So Christians are falling for bad ideas in huge numbers. We only surveyed church-going Christians. But if you're curious to see where you fall in that, you can take that worldview quiz for free. It's completely confidential, but you'll be able to see some of your results. And I mean, don't be upset if you don't end up like 100% Christian. This isn't a test where you can get an A, B, C, D, or F. It's just a way for you to recognize the ideas that might be influencing you more than you know, so that you can have the mind of Christ. One of the ways that you can avoid counterfeit ideas is to know the genuine ideas, the true ideas, very well. My, I had a great aunt many years ago who used to work uh, for the government, and she would, she would spot counterfeit money. That's what she would do. And she could spot counterfeit money uh, just at a glance because— in order to train her to spot counterfeit money, what they did is they put real money in front of her and told her to study it. And the way that she could identify counterfeit money at a, at a glance was she knew the original. She knew the genuine. She knew the truth so well that as soon as she saw a counterfeit, she said, that's counterfeit. And we need to do the same with Christianity. We've got to know Christianity and the truth so well so when these bad virus ideas that you write about here in the secret battle of ideas about God come about, we can be ready uh, and understand that those are counterfeit ideas. Now, you mentioned uh, in the book here, Jeff, that these bad virus ideas um, can lead to a lot of damage. In fact, you talk about the bad idea about sex, love, and intimacy leads to a lot of damage. Can you unpack that for us a little bit? Because there's a lot of bad ideas about sex, love, and intimacy out there. There are a lot of bad ideas, and one of the purveyors of those bad ideas, Hugh Hefner, passed away just last week. Mm-hmm. But the impact of his his life work has been uh, horrific when it comes to sex trafficking and pornography addiction and, and so forth, all the things that result from the pornography kind of lifestyle. But, but if you think about it, if you ask the question, am I loved? What is the secular worldview going to say to you? The secular worldview says only the material world exists. There's no idea of love. There's no mindful concept of love. There's only sexual attraction. There's only sexual chemistry. And if you think of it, Frank, this is why in the movies people have to sleep together before they can fall in love. Because from a secular viewpoint, it's not possible to fall in love unless you've slept together, because only sexual chemistry matters. Love is, is, doesn't really have any meaning. And, or they might say love is what you feel for your offspring, right? You're just trying to protect them uh, evolutionarily. But that, those, those end up being really bad ideas, because they end up giving the world the impression that you will never feel loved unless you have as much sex as you want, however you want to have it. Mm. And you write uh, that if exposure to sex created happiness and intimacy and love, we'd be the happiest nation on earth, but we're not. But we are not the happiness, happiest nation on earth. And, I, you know, I, I think Christians get confused by this, too. I'm not just pointing fingers at people who aren't believers. I have talked to a lot of Christians, you know, uh, when, uh, as I, when I uh, went through a divorce— 
and I, I'm a single guy, and so I want to be sexually pure. And I, I said, I have to believe that God can meet my deepest needs for intimacy. And I have had Christians laugh in my face, say, there's no way God can meet your deepest needs for intimacy, because your deepest needs for intimacy are physical, not spiritual. And, and that is how deeply ingrained the secular worldview is in our minds and hearts. And I tell the story in here how I had to go through and grapple with that, but a, a huge issue for, for Christians today. Mm, yeah, and in fact, it's one reason why some Christians are suggesting that same-sex marriage is okay, because if you have homosexual desires, you don't have any option. Uh, you know, you have to you have to be intimate with somebody in that way. But if that were the case, then Jesus didn't live a fulfilling life because he wasn't intimate in that way with anyone. Paul didn't. Uh, Augustine, after he became a believer, was celibate. C.S. Lewis celibate most of his life. John Stott, Henry Nouwen, Mother Teresa. Can we go on and on? Are you telling me none of these people had a relationship with the Lord and lived a fulfilling life? No, they all did. One of them they was all the understood Lord. that only God can meet our deepest That's need right. for intimacy, and that when we, even those who are married and have a, a you know, a pure sexual mm-hmm. relationship inside the context of marriage, if they turn to that sexuality to be their fulfillment, they're unhappy. Yes. It, it is God who meets that ultimate need. Yeah, in fact, um, Tim Keller famously said that if you think that your mate, whoever that is, is going to make you happy— you're going to put expectations on that person that will crush that person. That person can't be God, and yet you want that person to be God. Uh, yeah. And that's yeah. the mistake we make. So that's an idea virus. Trained a generation that you know you you have a, a guy and a girl come alongside one another. They get married, and their pursuit of God is so strong that they end up coming closer together as they both pursue the same thing. Uh-huh. That's where real fulfillment comes from. Now, you mentioned as well, and we're talking to Jeff Myers, president of Summit, Dr. Jeff Myers, the new book, The Secret Ideas, or The Secret Battle of Ideas About God. Excellent new book. You need to get not a hard read, not a long read, but a lot of insights in here, practical insights. Um, You also, on page 70, Jeff, have a section in here about the five things you can do now to experience love. Can you just kind of, at 10,000 feet, give us a, a, a couple of those? So our audience can get an idea of what you're talking about. I am absolutely happy to do it. And I'll tell you, with each of the big questions I asked, uh, am I loved? Why do I hurt? What is my purpose? Why can't we get along? What hope is there in the world? There is a a teaching of Jesus, and in most cases, it's it's something that doesn't get talked about in Church very much, but is central to Jesus' ministry that answers those questions. The question, am I loved? Jesus taught a different kind of love than his than most people talked about. He wasn't talking about sexual love. He wasn't just talking about brotherly love or family love. He talked about agape love, which is Mm. unconditional love. So when we are loved by Jesus unconditionally, and we know we are, we know that our Father God loves us unconditionally, then we can turn around and offer that kind of love to other people. And so the first thing is that that's what enables us to experience forgiveness and, and offer it. And if Jesus can forgive the thief on the cross... He can forgive you. Mm. And if you, He can forgive you, then you can forgive others. So that selfless, unconditional love is what relaxes the drive that we have to, to figure out, what do I get in return for this? What am I going to get, right? Mm. And we, you can experience love, and, or experience forgiveness, and then offer it. But the second thing is to let God take care of the timing. Um, a lot of people make frantic relationships. I have to be married. I, you know, I gotta immediately get on a dating site. I've got to go on as many dates as possible. 
it, it, it's funny how when you're frantic about pursuing something, you end up having a misdirected desire. So we accept God's unconditional love, and then we focus on giving that love to others. And when we're removed from the idea that others must do things for us in order for us to love them, then we can really experience love ourselves. It's one of those great uh, paradoxes in life. And the third thing is don't you just give to other people what they want from you. One of the difficult things in life is we think, well, if I, if my, if I don't give my child everything he wants, he's going to hate me. But we, but we all know the truth, and we just have to be willing to swallow hard and accept it, that if we give somebody everything they say they want, that's not necessarily the loving thing to do. No, we know be that. careful about that. Yeah, we know that as parents. If we give our kids everything they want, we're not loving. <laughs> We've right. got to Selfless say Selfless no. love does what is right for others, even if that involves interrupting their obsession with getting what they want. Now, Jeff, you got an entire chapter. I mean, you have an entire chapter on, on all of these questions, but there's a chapter called Why Do I Hurt? Can you just kind of give us an overview of that chapter? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think everybody experiences pain in the world. We know that life doesn't turn out the way we want. Everything is going fine, and then we get some kind of a diagnosis. Or uh, everything is going fine, and then we get a horrible phone call. Um, people's lives don't turn out the way they want. I've lately been able to speak in a lot of churches. Now, it's, it's odd, because I'm not a theologian. I wasn't trained as a theologian. I'm not a pastor but I've been invited to speak, and I just stand up on a Sunday morning and very simply share, uh, uh, you know, here are these idea viruses that are making us miserable, and here's my story, here's my experience, and I share my hurts and pains. Frank, people line up by the hundreds mm. to want to talk and pray, and they say, uh, several, I can't tell you how many people have said to me, I didn't know we could talk about this in church. Mm because they, they have so many things going on that they just, if there's pain, and they, they can't, for example, on the issue of abortion, I love Pro-Life Sunday, uh, where people, uh, pastors and churches can say, we love the unborn, but as a college student, um, I participated in an abortion with my girlfriend. When my, I got my girlfriend pregnant, and we got an abortion. And, and I know, when I'm sitting there, and the pastor says, abortion is bad, um, it's evil, it's murder. I know that's true, but I'm also looking around the congregation, Frank, and realizing that if the statistics are correct, one-third of the women in that audience have had an abortion. Right, you need to... So uh... how are they... Th they're feeling that deep pain. And I think that's a significant part of Jesus' ministry to us, or a significant part of our ministry to others, is to just say, man, can I just walk with you? Can I just hear you? Can I just listen to your story? Um, and then, and then, in that walking alongside, just trusting that God will begin to achieve the results He wants to in that person's life. And that's what this book will do. The book will give you some insights on how to do that. The book, again, is called "The Secret Battle of Ideas About God: Overcoming the Outbreak of the Five Five Fatal Worldviews." My guest is Jeff Myers, the president of Summit. And uh, Jeff, give us twenty seconds on Summit. Why should people go to Summit? And how do they do it? We want every 16 to 22-year-old young person who knows Jesus, even if their faith is not strong, to come for two weeks to one of our programs. We will, we will put them together with world-class leaders in apologetics and economics and theology. They will come out of that program being solidly convinced that a biblical worldview is true and that it answers its counterfeits. When they go off to college, they're prepared to be leaders rather than to be followers. And the statistics on this are really incredible. Our students 
uh, are nine times more likely to understand a biblical worldview than their peers, even their peers who are regular church attenders. Wow. More on that when we come back. We're talking to Dr. Jeff Myers, president of Summit, the new book, The Secret Battle of Ideas About God. You need to get it and more with him in just two minutes. So don't go away. Don't forget, ladies and gentlemen, Fearless Faith, Jay Warner Wallace, myself, and Mike Adams down in St. John's, Florida, near Jacksonville next weekend. I think it's the 20th and 21st. All the details are on our website, crossexamined.org. It's Friday night, Saturday morning. Hope to see you there. I'm talking to my friend, Dr. Jeff Myers, his brand new book, The Secret Battle of Ideas About God. We're talking about some very important issues that just about everybody experiences. The question is, how do you deal with it? The five questions, am I loved? Why do I hurt? Does my life have any purpose or meaning? Why can't we just get along? And is there any hope for the world? Is there any hope for me? Jeff is writing this not just from a theoretical perspective, but from a personal perspective. And uh, there's some very good insights in here that will help you with those five questions uh, now, Jeff, uh, I want to direct people to that website again because I think it might help them see what they really do believe uh, about God and about Christianity and how much of these ideas, viruses that you call them, have infiltrated into their minds. What's the website again? They can take yeah, this little test? Yeah, uh, Frank, it's called secretbattlebook.com, and you can take a worldview checkup there. It's free. In fact, Pastors and group leaders can have every member of their group take the worldview checkup, and then they will get to see the aggregate results. So they will know. I just spoke with somebody from a church. They said, yep, we had our people go through and take that, and they said, we're doing well in some areas, but there are some scary things that our, our people in our congregation have picked up. That makes sense. You and I have had the cold. We have colds before. We've had the flu. We didn't want it. We didn't try to pick up those viruses. It just snuck in. Mm -hmm. And in the same way, bad ideas sneak into our minds and our hearts. And that's why it's why the Apostle Paul says it's so important to have the mind of Christ in all things. And that little test there, if you go to secretbattlebook.com, is that right? Secretbattlebook.com. You can take the worldview checkup. You can uh, sign up and get the first two chapters of the Secret Battle of Ideas About God book Mm -hmm. for free if you would like to check it out before you buy it. And you can also see there's a small group course there. Frank, we have just found out that we have a thousand small groups already. This book has been out for two months. A thousand small groups that are going through the book. People will read the book. They just bring their neighbors over. Hey, do you ever ask these big life questions? Am I loved? Why do I hurt? What is my purpose? We don't even care what you believe. Just come over to our house. One week, uh, once, uh, one hour each week for seven weeks, we're going to watch a video clip and talk about the answers to these questions and read this book. We've got one church that's preparing to do this for 1,500 to 2,000 people. They want to use it as an outreach to their neighbors, which I thought excellent. was a wonderful idea. Yeah, excellent, excellent. Well, let me ask you about something very personal that you record here in the book. You did talk about the the divorce and what happened there, but you also talked about something that happened long before then with your dad, because so much pain can come from broken relationships or strained relationships, and you talk about this concept of shalom, peace. Uh, Can you relate to our audience what happened with your dad and how that incident or that you actually 
made a conscious effort to to repair the relationship with your dad? How did you do it, and what happened? Yeah, yeah. Well, Frank, uh, the the word shalom is a word a lot of people are familiar with. It's the Hebrew word for peace, but it doesn't just mean peace. It means well-being and prosperity. It's a wish for every good thing to be united together, those, those things that war and divide. And, it's, and the difference of the Hebrew concept, and this is what Jesus was talking about when he said, my peace I give you, not peace as the world gives. Because it was a very different kind of peace. Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. And what I learned is, if you want peace in your world, you have to be the one. If there's conflict in your world, the Apostle Paul said, he did not say it's your responsibility to fix all the problems, but he did say, insofar as it depends on you, live at peace with all. Hmm. And so growing up, I had had a very strained relationship with my father, and as a young man, I, I decided I need to be the peace maker, not just the peacekeeper. And so I sat down with him, and, and I said, Dad, here are the things that I did that I know disappointed you growing up, and here are the things that you did that disappointed me, and I just want to, uh, I want our relationship to be right. We were driving through Oklahoma. I could probably pick out the stretch of road to this very day. And my dad got out of the, he stopped the car, got out of the car, and just stood there looking down the highway, and I got out and stood next to him, and he said, son, I'm so sorry. And I said, I am too, dad. And we we hugged, and it was it was a turning point in our relationship to realize that just being willing to say, "Look, this is what this is what I know I have uh, think I might have done that offended you," and these are some of the things that I felt hurt by with you, and I I just want our relationship to be right. I don't want this conflict to dominate anymore. Life is too short. Mm. And so, your relationship with your father was restored at that point, and you also make the point in here. Um, why a redeemed person is better than a self-righteous one. And I think you could probably say the same thing about relationships, you know. Almost a repaired relationship can be stronger than one that, that never had any conflict to a certain extent. Why is redemption better than just being self-righteous? Well, you know, I, I, it's, a, it's a tough question. I have to say a lot of people have questioned whether this is really correct. But I believe living in a world in which Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead is a better is to live in a better world than a world if Jesus had never come at all, right? Or in a world, maybe even in a world where Jesus never had to come. And mm. I, I give the example in here. My father, when I was a little kid, we had a little Volks, a vanilla color Volkswagen Beetle, and it got it got crashed and destroyed by a a car thief. And we lived in Detroit, Michigan. It was a pretty rough place. And then um, when I was writing this book, I was out on a run here in Manitou Springs and saw a beautifully restored car exactly like my father had. And I thought, you know, that car is better because when it came off the factory line, it didn't look that good. And there's a, and now it looks great, and there's a story behind it, a story of someone who lovingly cared to take all of the dents out, to remove all of the rust, to replace all the bad pieces, to put it back into condition, where it is beautifully restored. And I, I, I have to believe that our lives are like that. Mm. I tell our students here at Summit, you know, one of the big things our students grapple with is the barriers that would stop them from living a life that's fully committed to Jesus. And I tell them, look, you can't ever go back and have a new beginning. But starting today, you can work toward a new ending to your life. 
And that is the whole point of redemption. That's true in relationships, and it's true in our lives personally. In fact, it's out of gratitude for what Christ has done for us, the incredible uh, price he paid, that we feel a bond with him. Just like if somebody were to lay down their life for you, you would feel a bond with that person. Uh, You know, that happens on the military battlefield quite frequently. Some guy will jump on a grenade. Michael Monsoor did. He jumped on a grenade for his SEAL buddies, and his SEAL buddies were just overwhelmed with gratitude for him. They had a stronger relationship with him, even after he was gone, than what they had when he was on the earth because of what he did for them. And I think that redemption can make a relationship stronger. I'm sure the relationship with your father was stronger after the, um, the meeting you had with him. You redeemed that relationship than it was even maybe before you did those offensive things. Well, you know, there's a strong, there's a strength, and, and there's also a tenderness that comes. When you yeah. know somebody has forgiven you, and they still want to have an ongoing relationship with you, right? there's a tenderness and a humility that comes into the relationship that's very powerful, that's even more powerful than if nothing bad had ever happened in that relationship. And I think that we, we know that's true in human relationships, and I think it's, a, it's an interesting way we can understand the significance of what Jesus did for us. In fact, you have a quote from John Stott on page 92. We don't have time to go into it now, but it's in the book, and he talks about, he says, well, I'll just briefly read the top of it. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the, in the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? God came into the world and took the pain and suffering on himself. He experienced what we experience, except at a, at a greater level. And that is true love right there, as Jesus said in John 15, 13, no greater love can you exhibit than to lay down your life for somebody else. Now, the, the one insight, well, there's a lot of insights in this book, Jeff, and we're talking to Dr. Jeff Myers. His book is The Secret Battle of Ideas About God. The one thing that really struck me over all these other great insights is when you said in the book, truth is seeing reality how God sees it, how God knows it. That's what truth is. And we have all these viruses in our minds that we think are true, but they're not true. And so our, our task is to ensure that we worship Christ in spirit and in truth. And when, when you wrote in here, and again, the book is called The Secret Battle of Ideas About God, truth is seen, reality how God sees it. That's, that's our goal, isn't it? That is our goal. It is, it's about reality. We all want to know what's really real, because I don't want to live a fake life. Mm-hmm. And if you're, if you're counting on these counterfeit worldviews to help you, they won't. They obscure some aspects of reality. To say that only the physical world exists and that nothing spiritual exists is to obscure something about reality that we need to understand. You can't even solve societal problems that way. A Marxist who says only the physical world exists and denies the power of good ideas to help people come out of poverty that person is fighting the poverty problem with half of reality tied behind his back. It cannot ultimately work. So we're trying to figure out what is real. And Jesus says, let me show you what is real. Let me show you how my love, my healing of the world's hurts, my calling in your life, the peace that I bring, and the hope that I can give you opens up reality in a whole new way. And it, it, uh, I tell you, Frank, uh, going through difficult experiences, I would never want to repeat it, but I will tell you this, it has opened up my willingness to share my faith mm. in a whole new way. 
And this book tells how that has been the case and can help you figure out how to do that as well. The Secret Battle of Ideas About God by Dr. Jeff Myers. Get it now. Jeff, great having you on the show. Thank you, Frank. Sure appreciate you. Thanks, brother. And again, the, the website, secretbattlebook.com, secretbattlebook.com. Also check out summit.org, summit.org. And don't forget, we've got some new online courses. Dr. Dan Wallace, the, the top manuscript scholar in the world, is given a course. Go to crossexamine.org. It starts October 30th. You don't want to miss that. Go to crossexamine.org. Click on resources. You'll see online courses. See you next week, friends. I'm Frank Turek. God bless. The views and opinions expressed in this broadcast do not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio.